Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Barn, and Dr. Cubit is back on this recording to join us today. Hi, Dr. Cubit. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Katie. Glad to be back. We have a very interesting topic that we're going to cover in today's episode, something that is probably one of the largest fears that almost any horse owner might have, and that is dealing with colic. And so the way we want to take this discussion today is talking about what are some proper nutrition management tips that we can discuss and chat about that can help us decrease our horse's risk of colic. And so before Before we can really get into the nitty gritty of that, let's start with a basic overview of how the horse's digestive system works, Dr. Cubitt. Yeah, and I think that's really important because with every topic that we always talk about, you know, I say people always want to know how to fix the problem. But if you don't know what normal is and healthy is, how do you know how to fix it? So um, I always talk about the digestive system with any time I do a presentation, be it for veterinarians or 4-H kids, and and just give people a basic understanding of how it works. And it's hard because we're on a podcast and I can't show you pictures, but you really think about the teeth being the first part of the digestive tract. You know, they are going to have to grind that food and then it's going to mix with saliva in the mouth. We call that grinding and mixing with saliva, mastication, and then that ground food is going to be swallowed down the esophagus. And now if horses don't chew their food correctly or they don't have great teeth, this is where we have our first breakdown in the digestive system because they can choke. Anyway, then we go from the esophagus to the stomach. The stomach is really small in relation to the rest of the digestive system because the horse is designed to be a grazing animal. So it isn't actually meant to eat large meals. If you can visualize a bean shape, like a kidney bean shape, The top part of the stomach is what we call the non-protected region, and the bottom part of the stomach is called the protected region. And that protected region, there's a slippery, slimy mucus coating that protects that tissue from acid that is secreted by little cells down there called parietal cells, and they're secreting acid continually because that acid is the next part of the digestive system, right? It's continuing to break down the food. But if you think about a horse grazing and and living in the wild, they're continually uh, biting grass off, chewing it, producing saliva, swallowing that, and that saliva is diluting that stomach acid, but it's also mixed with the, the grass that they're eating, and that grass is diluting that stomach acid. And the grass also acts as a mat and sits on top of that stomach acid so that it doesn't splash up onto that non protected region and cause any issues. So we know that some management things that we do with horses, meal feeding them certainly can increase the acidity in the horse's stomach. And then we have gastric ulcers being a huge problem. So from the stomach then though, we go to the small intestine, which is like a big long garden hose and there's no bacteria or acid in the small intestine. Um, It is about 70 feet in length and it has a, a narrow diameter, but there are enzymes here that are going to continue the breakdown of food. 
And we know that there's a certain enzyme called amylase and it's responsible for breaking down starch. And there's really not a lot of amylase in the horse's small intestine. Why? Because if you think about wild horses, they really didn't eat a lot of starch in their diet. Starch comes from seed heads or grains and the horses in the wild just didn't eat much of that. So we know that in our modern horse feeding, we're feeding a lot more cereal grains to horses for weight maintenance or energy levels. And so we need to make sure that they're being processed and that we're feeding small meals so that we can maximize the efficiency of the small intestine. From the small intestine then, we're going to go into what we call the hindgut of the horse. So from the small intestine to the mouth of the horse, that's the foregut. And from the end of the small intestine to the rectum of the horse, that is the hindgut. And it starts with the cecum. And it's like a blind sack or a balloon. And the hindgut is full of all kinds of bacteria and yeast and fungi and viruses and all kinds of organisms that make up what we call the microbiome. And that cecum, because it's a blind sack, it's very easy for gas to build up in here. Now, the hindgut is where we see most of the colics in horses. And the reason being is because those bacteria, that microbiome, um, it's very easy for them to get out of sync, out of whack, and they'll do things like create excess gas or they'll die off and then they won't be able to digest fiber. And so we'll have impaction colic. So the hindgut is really where we see the majority of colics. Now they can be in the small intestine, but the majority of colics, especially nutrition related, are going to be in the hindgut. From the cecum, we now go to the large colon. And I actually make for 4-H or Pony Club kids, I make a diagram using um, trash bags and milk jugs. And for the large colon, I actually use dryer vent hose and it twists and turns back on itself and it's pretty wide in diameter. Again, full of that, all those organisms that make up the microbiome. And this is where primarily most of the fermentation, the breakdown of that fiber is occurring and the, all those nutrients are being absorbed across the intestinal wall. It's also um, if your horse is stressed, be it heat stress or exercise stress or disease or sickness, we have a breakdown in the cells in the intestinal wall right here in the large colon and that can cause a lot of problems. Um, we absorb a lot of water here. Those bacteria also will create heat. So in the wintertime, it's how the horse stays warm and thermoregulates. From here, then we go to the small colon, which is still much larger than the small intestine in diameter, but smaller than the large colon and, and shorter. And we're at this point, we're sucking excess moisture out of really non-digestible food particles and forming fecal balls that are then going to be stored in the rectum and then excreted by the horse. So there is a whirlwind tour of the digestive system in a few places where things can go wrong. No, that's excellent. And I knew asking you that it was going to be a loaded question just because there's so much to the horse's digestive system. But just like you mentioned, we can't really even begin to talk about colic and what happens to the horse when they are colicking, unless we know how the digestive system is supposed to work. And so I feel like that was a really good explanation to kind of set us up for success through the rest of this episode. So that was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So you briefly talked about why horses colic. Um, and it sounds like the hindgut is the bacteria in the hindgut. They're pretty sensitive. 
they are a community and they are super sensitive. And if you annoy them and we can very easily annoy them, then they are going to show their displeasure and, like I said, create excess gas or not do their job. And, you know, when we we go through the topics that we're going to do for these, these podcasts and we look at all the questions that we might ask, why do horses colic? <laughs> I couldn't even put a number on the amount of reasons why horses colic. But yes, it certainly does come down to any number of ways that you annoy the bacteria that live in the hindgut pretty much. Right, right. So you mentioned gas colic and impaction colic. Let's talk a little bit about the differences between those two so horse owners can differentiate the two episodes there. Absolutely. And by no means are we experts on colic, but when it comes to nutrition, the two most common nutritionally related types of colic are going to be gas colic and impaction colic. Now, as I've mentioned before, there are thousands of different types of colic, but again, the the two most common, especially nutrition related, are gas colic and impaction colic. Impaction colic is is the easiest to explain, and really it's just um, food gets stuck in the digestive system. And oftentimes it's a fiber type that is high in non-digestible fiber like lignin. Um, coastal Bermuda grass hay, for example, gets a really bad rap for causing impaction colic because it's really high in non-digestible fiber. It's also really soft and fine. So for food to pass along the digestive system, there are little things in the in the walls of the intestine called stretch receptors, and they need to be pressed and pressured in order to force contractions to make food pass down. And sometimes I don't think that coastal Bermuda grass hay puts enough pressure on the intestine, but definitely it's high in non-digestible fibrous like lignin, and so it can get stuck. Now, the other thing, the other times that I see impaction colic are um, usually in the fall when horses have gone from the summer, they're drinking plenty of water, maybe they're eating grass that's got a lot of moisture content, and then they go to eating hay, which is 90% dry matter, and they it, maybe the weather has cooled down, so they're drinking a little less, and so it takes a little while for the, overall, for the digestive system to adjust to a different moisture content, and that can cause impaction colic too. So I bet if you ask, most veterinarians would say that they see impaction colic the most in the fall. And some horses, it's just like you can set your calendar by when they colic. And they always seem to get it at the same time every year. And it's more environmental. Interesting. And so then gas colic. Yeah, gas colic is more about those bacteria. So a byproduct of those, that microbiome breaking down and fermenting fiber is that they create gas. And if we had a, say, a little blockage, or if we had a little blockage, then gas could build up and it wouldn't have anywhere to go. But if we just had excess gas, then it's going to kind of make pockets in the large colon. And then it's very easy for it to twist and turn on itself. And it's just kind of like gas pains that that humans will have. Right. Because I mean, we talk about, I guess, my most familiar understanding of colic, obviously, is with babies. And yes, it's- and it's, you know, 
maybe mama ate something different and you're nursing and it upsets the bacteria in their gut and um, they get a little gassy and they can't move in and it's really painful. And so you move the baby around because you're really trying to just move their digestive system around. Um, and that's why we walk horses because we're just trying to move the digestive system around, move the large colon around a little bit just to move that gas out of there. Yeah. Look at those similarities, horses and babies. <laughs> yeah, so they, they would be the two most common types. Okay, so you mentioned, um, especially with the impaction colic, that the non-digestible fibers basically sitting there and not being broken down can be, you know, a reason for the impaction. Are there any types of feed or forage of any type that can lean more towards that gas colic? Uh, well, see, gas colic is more about abrupt changes in what you're feeding them or uh, change in the weather or something. But, you know, we always know you don't want to make rapid feeding changes. And we think about grain with horses, but, you know, changing a horse's hay, maybe they're on a local grass hay and you want them to gain weight. So I've recommended you feed alfalfa to get a little extra calories and you just abruptly add a bunch of alfalfa, then you might disrupt those bacteria enough. But usually before gas colic, you might notice some other things like maybe a bit of loose manure or diarrhea. But really, the gas colic is going to be preceded by a rapid change. And when we're talking about feeding, a rapid change in, in feeding anything it could also be, you know, putting them out to spring pasture. And you think about in the wild, horses in the wild eat spring posture and why don't they colic? Because they slowly adapt. You know, they're out there all the time. And so as little bits of grass come in every day, there's a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. They're constantly grazing that. But we as, you know, landowners, we don't want the let to let the horses out on that spring grass because they might damage it. And we don't want them to kind of graze it down to nothing. So we usually keep them in the stall or the dry lot and feed them hay and then wait till the pastures have a decent amount of grass in them before we turn them out. And then we've just made a rapid feeding change and they're not used to it. So. Right. So it's kind of a matter of bringing the horses into our human environment and asking yeah. them to do things. So, which we've discussed quite a few times, but I think that's important for us to keep in the forefront of our minds and helping our horses, you know, live their closest lives to what they're naturally supposed to be doing. So mm -hmm. that was really great information. Are there any types or breeds that might be more prone to colic or tend to be high risk? Or is it really have more to do with management? I would say that it definitely has more to do with management. But that, then again, there are some horses that just tend to be more likely to colic, like with the impaction colic, you wouldn't know the, the amount of horses that every year come October 21st, if we're not doing something to mitigate impaction colic, they're going to get impaction colic. They're going to get an impaction. And when we use the term colic, what does it really mean? The true definition of colic is just abdominal pain. And so when we talk about impaction colic, we're talking about a cause for abdominal pain. We talk about gas colic. We're talking about a cause for abdominal pain that gas building up or that impaction, but it's just pain in the belly. And um, 
you know, I, I don't want to say that there's one breed necessarily that's more at risk than other horses. Um, but definitely, if you go to any boarding stable, the barn manager will be say that there's always one horse. Um, maybe if you're unlucky, there's more than one horse that just something changes. You change the radio station and they're going to call it. <laughs> um, you know, we especially in the, the transitions between seasons, you know, we get sometimes we're going into spring and it's cold, 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 and then it's hot and then it's cold again, or in the fall, it's hot and then it's cold for a day and it's cold and it's cold again. And, you know, those major swings in temperature, there are some horses that they're just always going to do it. And so most people, luckily, that have those horses, if they've had them for a while, they just know I, I need to be watching this horse because I know that the, this is going to change in the environment and I have to stay ahead of it. But I don't think there's necessarily a breed that's more likely to colic than another one. Some may disagree, but I've seemed to see it in everyone. Right. Okay. So when we talk about chronic colic, is that more in relation to impaction colic then? No, I don't think it's in relation to impaction colic necessarily. There are some horses to just, it, it comes down to sometimes a little bit how their brain is wired and their behavior. And you find some of those horses that are really high strung and they seem to internalize everything. And like I said, you change the radio station and they colic. It's just stress really affects them. And then you have other horses that, you know, a bomb could go off in the barn and they're like, whatever. So stress can be very heavily related to colic. Absolutely. And then when you've had a horse that has colic and maybe has been as bad as you had to have them opened up and maybe had surgery, then that horse is forever and a day going to be more at risk because now you've got some scar tissue in the gut, which we've created. So certainly particular horses seem to be more prone. But like I said, I can't say that it's a specific breed or anything. Okay. And I know that there's um, a lot that can kind of go on with this and maybe it's different between impaction colic and gas colic, but what are some of the more common symptoms that horse owners can look for to identify if their horse is colicking? And then when do they need to reach out to their veterinarian if it gets too far? Horse owners that have had a, that particular horse for a long time, they get to know what's normal for their horse. And this is why I always say you need to know how much your horse drinks every day. You need to know what his temperature is. You need to know what his, you know, his resting heart rate is. And then what is his heart rate when he's been exercising so that you know what is normal. You know, when you look out in the field that your horse has a tendency to pour all the time. So if you see him pouring, it's not abnormal. But if your horse is usually pretty chill and doesn't do anything and you look out in the field and he's pouring and pouring, like using his foot and he's just pouring the ground, like he's agitated or uncomfortable, then that's a sign that there's something weird going on. Also, they might do weird stretching, like they camp their back legs out and they're really stretching and arching their belly because there's pain and they're just trying to dislodge it themselves. Rolling, you know, we all know horses rolling, 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 and we want to get them up. If they're sweating, because when we're in pain, it's uncomfortable and oftentimes it, it uh, elicits a sweat response. Uh, and then also looking and kicking at their belly. Uh, these would be all signs of colic. Also, if you go out to the barn in the morning and 
usually your horse doesn't make a mess in the stall and the stall is trashed and there's no manure in the stall. Okay, he hasn't passed any manure and he has obviously been agitated and moving around a lot. Definitely, I would call the veterinarian. Some horses, as I said, people have had them a long time, so they know, oh, I can walk him out of it. Um, I can call my vet and talk to them and maybe they'll give me some instructions over the phone. But certainly, if you see those signs that I described to you and you're unsure, when in doubt, just always call your vet. I was doing a, a talk the other day and I was like, don't call the vet when you want them to be there immediately. You've got to give them time. They don't live in your backyard. So if you think you might need your vet, you want to give them a call when it's not like, oh my God, my horse is dying. I need you to be here like right now. Give them a call when you notice, hmm, something weird going on with my horse. Let them know so that then they can start preparing that maybe they're going to have to get to you. And certainly if it's when they're on call, they might be doing other things and they just can't snap their fingers and magically appear at your farm. So don't wait till the very last minute to let them know that something bad is going wrong. Right. That's really good advice because I know I've heard some veterinarians that get a, a little bit frustrated because although they want to be able to help everyone whenever they can, they do have other clients. Yeah, and they don't get there in time and then you're cranky at the vet. And it's like, you know, I don't have a magic wand and a broomstick to get here. So anyway. So one of the big symptoms that you mentioned was when a horse rolls. Mm -hmm. What can happen to a horse if they continue to roll and we don't help them stop rolling, what can happen to their gut or their digestive system? Yeah. And I think that's why. So one of the things you learn very early on is you don't want your horse to roll and you want to get them up and start them walking. You want to do like hand walk them for 15 to 20 minutes. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to help them dislodge that pain or remove that pain. But they're also trying to do th that same thing. They're rolling and rolling and trying to move their digestive system around. But unfortunately, what they can do is when that gas builds up, it will twist and turn. And the worst case scenario would be that you kind of when you make a if you think about those, um, you go to a a party and you have those balloon people making, you know, things out of balloons and you think about the long balloon. Oh yeah. The balloon animals. Yeah. And then he twists it all up and to, to kind of make the different sections. And that's, what's going to happen in the gut is there'll be a twist, but there's blood supply that needs to get to the different sections. And now, unfortunately, the blood can't get through. So then we have necrotic tissue, it starts to die. And so that's the worst thing that could happen. And so that's why we really want them not to be rolling and you want to get them up and walk them. Do they have to go in then and handle it with surgery to get that gut untwisted? At that point, yes. I mean, this is more like a veterinarian question, but I think that they're going to rectally palpate the horse. They're going to, you know, check for other signs and maybe do an abdominal ultrasound. And they're going to make a decision based on a whole slew of different factors as to whether they need to do surgery to untwist it and maybe to resect, like take out some of if there was a dead portion. Yeah, but we want to do everything we can to avoid getting to that point. Right. So talking about prevention solutions, and this could be for, you know, someone who hasn't had to experience colic necessarily, 
What are some tips to help decrease that horse's risk of ever colicking in the future? What kind of suggestions would you give horse owners from a nutrition perspective? From a nutrition perspective, it's like just trying to um, mimic their natural behavior and decrease stress and making sure horses have access to forage for at least 17, 18 hours out of the day. And if it's an impaction deal, then, you know, I'm going to recommend that during that kind of transition where we're getting the horse used to um, having less moisture in the gut or that we are adding soaked, whether it be soaked beet pulp or soaked alfalfa or soaked you know, forage pellets of some kind, making sure they have plenty of water, not feeding too large a grain meals, kind of splitting those up and feeding small meals often, allowing horses to have turnout where possible, um, you know, and just routine vet care, making sure you're getting their teeth bloated, making sure that they're um, not full of parasites. And we just have routine care that way as well. And then if the horse is being transitioned... I was actually thinking about when a horse gets turned over from a previous owner to like a new owner, that can probably be a time frame where a horse may be introduced to new feed, possibly in a quick situation. Absolutely. So anytime you're making a feeding change, then you need to do that gradually because it takes a a full 21 days for those bugs the microbiome to adapt to a new type of food that they're eating so anytime you're changing the hay the pasture the the feed that you're feeding you need to give them time to adjust to it otherwise you just increase your risk for colic right and so i know a lot of the things that you just mentioned will also be the case for horses who have colicked before but are there other things, especially maybe right after a colic episode or something like that, any kind of special management requirements that we should be mindful of for those horses that are different from the tips that you just gave us? Um, you know, if it's right after a colic episode, what we will always recommend is make sure that they constantly have access to water. But let's just say your horse is colicking and you're waiting for the vet to come. We don't want to give them any food to eat at that point because we don't know whether it's an impaction or whether it's a blockage. So we want to make sure they come. And then after the veterinarian has been, sometimes they will give some kind of drug to speed up the motility of the gut or decrease the pain. And oftentimes, you know, we want to use really highly digestible fiber sources like beet pulp or alfalfa, maybe pellets, maybe really wet. Um, After colic surgery, then that's a whole nother story. And we're going to, again, not use for a while, we're not going to use long stem hay because it's too abrasive on the gut. And we're going to rely on on our hay pellets that we can wet and soak. And a lot of people will go towards a senior feed because it's very high in fiber, but then we need to also transition them off that senior feed when they're fully healed. But yeah, they would be some, some tricks, just making sure they have plenty of water and a really digestible fiber source. Excellent. So there were just a a few questions that I wanted to talk about that we have basically common questions that at Stanley we have heard from people about colic. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of those questions. You've actually touched on a handful of them so far, which has been wonderful. One of them is, 
And I don't know, and this is very specific, but I have heard that going from a coarse blade grass hay to a fine blade grass hay can increase the risk of impaction colic. Could something about the coarse versus fine have any sort of effect on that? Well, I think then it's kind of leaning more towards that pressure on the stretch receptors. And this isn't something that I've seen a potload of research on. It's more me just kind of anecdotally coming up with reasons why coastal Bermuda grass in particular um, gets a really bad rap. It's, you know, high in that non-digestible fiber, the lignin. And, but also I think because it is so fine, it's really just not activating those stretch receptors to, to keep pushing food through. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that switching a horse from a more coarse hay to something that was really fine. And also, if you're going from something that's more digestible to something less digestible, then it's not, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that that could, be, that could happen with some horses. Yeah, that's a very interesting concept there. And... I know that you also mentioned that there are probably a million and one ways a horse can colic, but there's actually about 70. <laughs> it seems like well, a million and one. It seems like it's that many. <laughs> um, what might cause a sudden gas colic when there has been no change in diet? The diet can stay exactly the same, but some kind of other stress. Maybe you rode your horse and it was really hot today and you rode them longer than normal. And so they got a little heat stroke. It could be a change in the weather. Uh, any other stresses or environmental things can certainly cause a horse to get a little bout of gas colic, even when nothing in the diet changes. Okay. And then we talked about this a little bit but we have had a lot of people actually asking about pelleted hay specifically. So that's why I wanted to, to chat on this question. But can changing types of hay or formats of hay cause colic? And I know we've talked about the whole transitional thing. But again, I find it very interesting. A lot of people specifically bringing up pelleted. My initial answer is no. Format is not important. But then if you dig a little deeper, then my answer might be, well, maybe. And that's because if we want a horse to have frequent access, you know, more constant access to something to chew on and keep those bacteria happy, then pelleted forages are consumed much more quickly than long stem hay and they produce less saliva. So I could see that if your horse was on 100% pelleted forage, that if you weren't really intensively managing that situation, that they might be eating it really quickly and then having big long periods of time when there's nothing to eat and then they will find something else to eat. They'll eat manure, they'll eat bedding and then, you know, causing all kinds of other issues. So really, if you're managing the horse well and you're feeding them a pelleted or cubed forage, let's say it's an old senior horse and he can't chew hay and you're just feeding these kind of alternative hay varieties and we're making sure that he has constant access to it and he's got plenty of water, then no, I don't think form of the, the hay, or whether it be pellet cube or long stem, really makes a difference. But if we're not really intensively managing and there's long periods of time when they're standing there not eating anything other than your wooden stall, then yes, it could increase your risk for colic. So it's less about the actual product and more about the management of feeding. The management, it always kind of comes back to management. So I think if we keep our, our eye on that, that will be really helpful for us as horse owners to make sure that our horses are being taken care of. So yeah, that's a good point. 
Do you have any um, feed or forage specific suggestions for horses that do colic frequently? Um, horses that f- colic frequently, uh, again, if it's impaction colic, then I'm going to be putting salt in their feed. I'm going to be wetting everything. I'm going to be making sure that they stay really hydrated. If it's more of a gas colic, then I'm going to be making sure that I have pre and probiotics like a live cell yeast culture or moss, other things that are going to help stabilize those bacteria that live in the hindgut so that they're not as likely to get unhappy and create a bunch of gas. Uh, They would be some things that I would make sure I was adding. And then just getting your horse used to eating plenty of hay, like always let them have access to forage fiber, be it hay, pasture. It's amazing the decrease in the numbers of colics on farms where horses have either access to grazing or constant access to hay and good quality hay. It's just significant, the decrease in colic numbers. Another interesting question that we had come through was, can choking cause colic or lead to colic? Um, I would say... Again, I would say no, but if you kind of think about it a little bit more, then I guess if your horse got really stressed and it was really straining to try and dislodge that choke and it was coughing a lot, um, then maybe it would work itself up enough. But no, I mean, the act of them choking is not going to cause them to colic. It would be more if they really worked themselves into a tiz and really got stressed out, then maybe they could cause themselves to colic. Right. That would make sense. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Cubit. This has been a very helpful episode uh, on colic, just giving us some tips on how to prevent colic. You know, obviously, water is such a key thing for horses. Not only do they need it to be able to live and survive, but really, from a management perspective, can really avoid a lot of other issues like colic. Yeah, water and fiber, two most important things in a horse's diet. They can do without anything else but water and fiber. They need it to live. Right. So again, thank you, Dr. Cubit. And we would encourage you to reach out to us if you have any feedback for us or any topics that you would like us to cover on a future episode. So thanks again for joining us today on this episode of Beyond the Barn. Till next time. Bye. We have released our 15th episode over here at Beyond the Barn, and we can't thank you enough for being here, listening to our episodes, sharing them with your friends and family. This has been such a fun journey for us so far, and we're really excited to continue this on. We will be taking a midsummer break, and this is just going to be for the month of July. So our next episode will be releasing on Tuesday, August 3rd. If you haven't had a chance yet to go back and listen to all the episodes that we've released, this is going to be a great opportunity to play catch up. So go ahead and visit our podcast page at stanleyforage.com forward slash podcast to go check all of those out. And until we come back in August, we hope you guys have a great month of July. Get a lot of rides in, enjoy the time with your animals, and we will see you then. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time. 
Keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water. 